all too. So we got we got a lot of guests today. Um, we got Preacher Bob here, Preacher Lewis here, and then the other two are not preachers, but they're preacher daughters. So we've got Marina uh, here, Marina Wilson, and Abby's here too. They're going to sing uh, a few for us this morning before Lewis gets up to to preach. And uh, I just appreciate the girls coming up. I didn't realize to today or yesterday that you have a baptism today at your church. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Kind of took you away from your daddy there. But uh, I appreciate the girls coming up here and. Uh, we got, uh, like I said, preacher Bob Garbett's here from the association. I'm going to ask Bob if he will to open us up in, in prayer this morning.
quiet today uh, <laughs> for once y'all it's a blessing I'm sure for some of y'all uh, we had an amazing week this week with Bible school had a, a great turnout every every night um, I, I was telling them I don't know if Cindy could see it that night we were talking about um, a pinch hitter there was the one night we was talking about a pinch hitter and I, I mentioned this Thursday night and the the perfect batting average is a thousand batting a thousand if you ever hear that that means you're perfect nobody's ever got there but we were talking about how God sent in a pitch hitter which was Jesus because he's batting a thousand for each one of us and the, especially the ones that play ball and understand that stuff you could almost see the light bulb go off in their in their minds whenever I mention that and uh, it related a lot of them could relate to, to all the lessons this week when you can tie in baseball to the Bible it's amazing, and it was just—it was a good—it was a great Bible school. I appreciate all the hard work and effort that went into it, and uh, you know, as Keith said this morning, uh, I wish everybody could hear that. You, the 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 longevity, the effect of Bible school. I mean, mm -hmm. 50 years later, we got what'd you say, two kids that were here because of something that happened 50 years ago. You know, that's amazing, isn't it? And I hope that you know, in another 50 years, that those two will bring more over here to Chestnut, just because of. The fun that they had growing up, being in Bible school here, uh, being a part of this, the family here. So it was really good, and I appreciate, again, all the, all the work. Um, I don't really have anything. I don't really want to talk much today. I just want to I want to get Lewis up here. I've been here seven years. Lewis, I don't know that you've been here as long as I've been here, been not, up here since. Not been back lately. Not lately. Glad uh, to I, be back. Well, I'm glad to have you. Uh, Brother Bob here's had him. You've been here several, or not here, but you've been at the several association meetings, and uh, I, we keep saying, I think the last time we talked about it was around COVID, and mm -hmm. then I think that kind of. I tried to give it. COVID to Bob that night. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> I appreciate you not doing that. But we have uh, Lewis Smith here from the North Carolina Baptist Children's Home, and he's going to speak. Uh, he's going to preach. Whatever the Lord leads him to do, he's even got a hymnal in his hand. It looks like he might sing. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So we're going to turn it over to him and uh, let him have his time here as well. And uh, I appreciate you coming up from Amen. Franklin, yeah, North Carolina, not Tennessee, yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's a haul. Yeah. Amen. All right. Thank you. Come on up here. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless you. We'll get you up here where everybody can see you. I appreciate, appreciate. I told him to get down there. I wanted to be as tall as him. But I also told us. him it wouldn't help his looks. <laughs> Amen. My goodness, it's a real honor and privilege to be back. And certainly it's been a while. And I always uh, appreciate Chad and certainly the invitation he gave me to come back uh, to Chestnut Dale and spend a little bit of time with y'all. So I'm really thankful to have an opportunity to be here. And I didn't know Bob was going to come to keep me straight today, but glad to have Bob here. He's always been a blessing. Every time I've been at First Baptist Cross Nor when he was there, it was uh, a very special time. And uh, I treasure those memories there. And I'm glad you didn't go far. We got to keep you in Avery County. So, um, but anyway, it's a real blessing to be here. Coming up the mountain, uh, there's nothing much to do uh, except think. And uh, I left at uh, 15 to 7 this morning and headed this way. Had a great trip. No fog, no rain, no wrecks. Uh, everything was perfect and got here. And I knew for some reason when I headed to Chestnut Dale that I was going to get to hear some singing out of the old Redback Church hymnal. I just knew that. And the reason I had this in my hand is not because I'm going to sing to you, but I'm going to share a memory. I was raised with the Bible and the Red Back Church hymnal at Coweta Baptist Church in Otto, North Carolina, where my membership is. That's where I grew up. My mama played the piano, and uh, my Uncle Bud led the music, and my grandpa sang bass. And his favorite song, my grandpa's name was J.P., John Pink Styles, uh, came off of Deep Creek in Bryson City years before, and he sang bass. And his favorite song in this book was number 333, 333, I'll Fly Away. And he always told Mama, every time we sang that song, uh, Grandpa would tell Mama, now Gracie, Play it fast. And mom would say, well, it ain't, it's not wrote that way. And grandpa said, play it fast. I've never seen anybody fly slow. <laughs> and that's a memory from this uh, uh, Redback Church hymnal. Uh, and certainly a, a great blessing to be able to share. Also, <clears throat> uh, about 19 years ago, I had the privilege to come here and met Conley and Carolyn and the family and, and the folks here at, at Chestnut Dale. And uh, it's been a memory that I've treasured. Been to Heritage Day a few times over the years and, and got to take home uh, apple butter. And my wife told me as I left the house this morning, see if Conley's got any apple butter. And so I heard that y'all kind of quit that a few years ago. But that's uh, one memory, certainly not the only one that I have of uh, Chestnut Dale. But it's a real privilege and an honor to be able to come here and share. And I feel like that I wanted to do something a little bit different today. Uh, not only share God's Word, but share a little about the history and uh, the legacy, if you will, the histi history and the heritage of Baptist Children's Homes. Uh, for years and years and years, I shared about Baptist Children's Home and gave a report 
uh, everywhere I go. I'm, I still drive about 4,000 miles a month across western North Carolina, change the oil in my car about every six weeks, and uh, I preach, present, report, or promote somewhere on average 135 times a year, just not in the same place. And my grandpa said, at least you get to stay in the mountains, you know, and he added, God made western North Carolina on Monday morning when he was fresh, and he threw that flat country out there on Saturday night right before he finished and um, so every time I go down east to preach, I have to tell those folks down in, in that flat country that they're just neglected, that the West is the best. You know, that's always, that's what I tell them. Somebody said the other day, said, how's your wife? And I said, you know, next time I see her, I'll ask her about it. Um, but it's not a burden at all. It's a real blessing to partner with you to make such a difference in the lives of hurting children and broken families. And we've been doing this for a long, long time. So many of you have done so much for so long, and yet somehow or another we know God does it all in us and through us. And so I want to thank you for your support of Baptist Children's Homes, and certainly churches all over Avery County have supported us, and I've had the privilege to preach in a good many of them. In fact, I had the first opportunity to preach an annual message at the association in Avery County. And uh, I don't remember where Max Holland was uh, as the pastor then, maybe a Big Rock Creek or somewhere like that. And uh, uh, I think he was scheduled to preach the annual message and he got sick. And he told Daniel Wittstein at the time uh, that he wanted me to preach. And Daniel said, uh, I don't know Lewis Smith. And Max said, that's all right, I know him, you let him preach, I said so. And so I got to preach my first annual message uh, at, at Avery Association all those years ago, 19 years ago. I will have been with Baptist Children's Home August 2nd, 19 years. And so I'm just proud to be back and have an opportunity to share with you from my heart and from God's Word. I want to do something a little bit different. I had a an association years ago, French Broad Association, celebrating Bicentennial. And Wesley Pike was the director of missions there, and he said, Lewis, I want you to come and, and do something special for our Bicentennial. And he said, now I want you to do something special. And I said, well, Wesley, everything I do is special. No, he said, I want you to do something special. So I, I went home, sat down, began to pray about it, and I decided that I would study about the beginning of Baptist Children's Homes, the history, if you will, the heritage, uh, and see if I could understand exactly what God did in the hearts and lives of Baptists to make the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina a reality. And so I studied through that, and uh, I came up with a presentation on the history of Baptist Children's Homes. And I, got, I went to Macon County Historical Society and they had an old, old suit, an 1880s suit in there. And they gave it to me because they said I was the only one that could wear it. It was so small, it fit nobody else but me. And they gave it to me and I put that suit on and my wife made me a tie that looked kind of like that tie right there. And uh, of course I can't do anything about the hair. 
but I dressed up as though I was John Mills, the founder of Baptist Children's Home, and went to French Broad Association and shared the history of Baptist Children's Home's first person as though I was John Mills. Well, John Mills was uh, about 300 pounds, so I was a little bit of John Mills uh, when I went to share that day. Well, it caught on, and I've done that about 100 times all over western North Carolina. But since then, I studied a little bit more about the history of Baptist Children's Homes, and I want to share with you uh, what I have learned of how God intervened in the hearts and lives of Baptists just like you to make Baptist Children's Homes in North Carolina a reality. Uh, and I don't do it first person because it's pretty detailed and I want you to know exactly what God did through this man's life and through the hearts and lives of Baptists across North Carolina to make Baptist Children's Homes a reality. And I want to do a good job here today and I want to be able to uh, challenge you and inform you of some things that not many Baptists know about, not many churches have heard. And so uh, I think this is pretty special to be able to share it with a church that's pretty special to me. And so let's start at the starting place. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this day that you've given me to be here in this special place with these special people. And so, Lord, I ask right now that you'd wrap your arms of love and care around about me and help me to be able to share simply, sincerely, and effectively what you want me to share. And I pray that the truth of your word will find a lodging place in the hearts and lives of these Baptists here today, these believers here today. And I pray you'd bless us and that you would share with us uh, your presence and your power and your provision through this message. This we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. I said we start at the starting place, and I hold in my hand the starting place, God's precious holy word. I want everything that I share with you today to be built on a foundation of two verses. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5b, the latter part of that verse, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Sometimes we forget what we need to remember. Sometimes we forget the fundamentals of the faith and the basics of the Bible. But I want to remind you today, you have every reason to be encouraged. You have every reason to be comforted because Jesus said He was in this with us. I want to think back for just a minute or so. In March of 2020... I was at a staff meeting and our president, Dr. Blackwell, came, pulled me aside and he said, Lewis, uh, I want to know how you're going to handle the, the virus. And I said, what virus? I didn't even know anything was coming. And he said, yeah, I want, I, I want to know seriously. I want to know how you're going to handle it. You speak a lot and I want to know how you're going to deal with it. Well, I hadn't even heard anything was coming, COVID or whatever. I'd never heard that name either. And so I just said to Dr. Blackwell, I said, Dr. B, if I've got an invitation to go and preach, present, report, or promote, I'll just go and not give people sugar. That's what I told him. And three days later, he shut me down. 
I lost a month and a half. I lost the rest of March, all of April and May. And I called them back and I said, if y'all don't turn me loose to do this job the way I've done it all these years, then I'm not going to do it on a computer and I'm not going to do it on the phone. And they gave me a green light. And I did 75 speaking engagements the rest of 2020 and never got sick at all. Uh, that's the grace of God. But I want you to know I was uh, somewhat angry and hurt and disappointed and anguished over what our government did and what our society did and what our culture did to the church. And I started every sermon in 2020 by reminding the church, if anything on God's earth is essential, the church of Jesus Christ is essential. And I shared with them my heart and what I believe God's Word says about just how important the church is uh, in this world in which we live. And I also reminded them of that verse I shared a minute ago. Hebrews 13, 5b, Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Even through a virus, even in COVID, no matter what your circumstances are, Jesus said he'd never ever leave us. So we need to be encouraged and we need to be comforted today simply because that is still true today. Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. That's one verse. The other verse is Psalm 66, verse 16, which says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I'll declare what He hath done for my soul. I want you to know that's my favorite verse in all the Bible. Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I'll declare what He hath done for my soul. Not only did Jesus say He'd never leave us nor forsake us, Jesus said He would intervene and work in our lives every day all along the way. So we need to be comforted and encouraged today and take hope today because He is with us no matter what and He intervenes and works in our lives every day all along the way. And sometimes Baptists treat God's intervening as though it's an interruption. But I want you to know if you treat God like He's an interruption, you're further from God than than He ever intended you to be. But those two verses is what I want to share with you today. Jesus said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said He'd work in our lives every day all along the way. If you think about your life, you will have to admit there's never been a time He wasn't with you. There's never been a time that He didn't work in your life. Now, I want to talk about this guy for a minute. This uh, picture right here is the only copy, not, not this poster, but it's the only picture of the founder of Baptist Ch- uh, Children's Home. Uh, his name is John Hames Mills. And uh, on November the 11th, 1885, a long, long time ago, November the 11th, 1885, this man, John Hames Mills, went to a train station in Thomasville, North Carolina, and met a little girl there by the name of Mary Presson. She was nine years old, became the first child in care at what was then called the Thomasville Orphanage. The Thomasville Orphanage had been built adjacent to his farm in Thomasville, North Carolina. 
And on that November 11th, 1885, he met that little girl along with her mother who became the first matron to care for children at, Tom, at the Thomasville Orphanage all those years ago. Later, the name was changed to the Baptist Orphanage. And today, it's called the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina. So there's quite a history behind this. There's quite a heritage behind it. But I wanted you to know, I studied through this, and I want to give you a detailed account how God was always with him, and God was intervening in his life to make Baptist Children's Homes a reality. The story really doesn't even begin in North Carolina. It begins in Halifax County, Virginia. You see, John grew up in Halifax County, Virginia. And his daddy was a Baptist preacher and a farmer in Halifax County, Virginia. So he grew up hearing his dad preach the gospel from week to week. And the family, the Mills family, operated a family farm there in Halifax County, Virginia. Well, his dad was not only serious about preaching the gospel, but his dad was serious about living out the Christian life before his children. John was one. And so Reverend Mills, his dad, found out about a little boy on the back side of Halifax County, Virginia, that didn't have a mom and dad. So back in those days, uh, travel was really hard, but nonetheless, Reverend Mills was serious about living out the Christian life, and so he packed up his family, and they traveled across Halifax County, Virginia, to sit down with that little boy that didn't have a mom and dad. And his name was Jackson Guthrie. And Reverend Mills, his dad, went to Jackson and said, Now Jackson, you don't have a barman, you don't have a daddy, and you don't have any family to speak of, so we want to invite you to be be become part of the Mills family. Well, at that very moment, John Haynes Mills had a little orphan brother named Jackson. And that had a powerful, profound impact on him. Uh, he understood the plight of a child being alone and lonely and not having any family uh, or uh, to speak of. And that's, that was Jackson's plight before Reverend Mills said, we want to make you part of the Mills family. So that's uh, how John uh, grew up understanding that his dad was serious about preaching the gospel and serious about living out the Christian life. But Reverend Mills was also serious about something else. He told John, he said, Now John, you're going to work hard and you're going to save your money. And we're going to work hard and we're going to save our money. And one of these days in the sweet by and by, we're going to send you off to college. That's what Reverend Mills told John Haynes Mills. To, he was going to go to college one of these days. Well, back in those days, that was almost unheard of for a mama and a daddy, let alone a Baptist preacher, to say, I'm going to send my kids off to college. But that's what he told John. So uh, John worked and saved his money, and the Mills family worked and saved their money. And uh, he told John, one of these days, you're going to be able to go off to college. Well, <clears throat> that time came. And uh, his dad came to him and said, Now, John, you make preparation to go. And John uh, Mills actually built a little wooden trunk and he covered it with calfskin. 
And he put all his earthly duds in, in that. Didn't have many. It wasn't a big trunk like we think of big trunks. It was a small trunk. And he packed his clothes in that little trunk. When I read about that and learned about that, it made me think. I'm living in a 135-year-old farmhouse that my grandma and grandpa lived in when I was a little boy. And when I pastored Cassers Baptist Church, mom and daddy gave that house to me, and I came home to investigate, remodel it, so me and Sherry would have a place to go when we left a, a Baptist parsonage. And so when Sherry came down, the first thing she says, I can't move in that house. And I said, why? And he, she said, I said, are you worried about the floors not being level? And she said, no, that don't bother me. You see, you could put a pencil on the coffee table. It'd beat you to the kitchen, you know. It was that kind of thing, you know. That didn't bother uh, her. And I said, what's the problem then? She said, there's not a closet in here. i got to have a closet. And I got to thinking back, and my grandma didn't have a closet. Uh, my grandma had a wardrobe. How many know what a wardrobe is? I've got Grandma's wardrobe right now in the garage, right, right now. But she had a wardrobe, and she had two or three dresses in it and had her clothes in it. Didn't have a lot of clothes, but she put them in a wardrobe. Had four or five little drawers over here for other things in that, but Grandma had a wardrobe. I got to thinking about Grandpa didn't have a wardrobe. I asked Papa one day when we were sitting on the porch, I said, where do you put your clothes? Grandma's got a wardrobe. He said, I got a nail behind the door. And he had four or five pair of uh, uh, overalls there, you know, uh, and, and hung on that door. And then he had a couple pair of Sunday go to meeting breeches, he called them. And that, he had a nail on the back of the door. We didn't have television much back where I grew up in Otto. We could get Channel 4, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, it was clear. Channel 7, Spartanburg, South Carolina was like a snowstorm. We could hear Channel 13. Couldn't see it. Didn't miss much. Still don't miss much on Channel 13. But the bottom line is, uh, we sat on the porch. That was our entertainment. And we talked about everything and nothing. And we were sitting on the porch one day, and I said to Grandpa, I said, Grandpa, we're, we got to talking about death and dying. And I said, Grandpa, where, where are you and Grandma going to be buried? And he said, we're going to be buried on New Hope Road in Gastonia at that new cemetery down there. And I said, I know exactly where it's at. And I said, Grandpa, where, where are y'all going to bury me? And he said, oh, we're not going to bury you. And I said, you're not going to bury me? He said, no, we're going to put you in a tow sack and hang you on that nail behind the door. And that was the kind of conversation we had. But I said all that to say John Mills didn't need a big trunk. He had a little trunk covered with calfskin, put his earthly duds in it, threw it up on his shoulder, crossed the Roanoke River and the Dan River, caught a train, went to Wake Forest College. You might think because he was going to Wake Forest College that he was going to be a Baptist preacher. He said, no, I love Baptist preachers. My daddy was a Baptist preacher. Uh, but I'm not interested in being a Baptist preacher. I want to be the best businessman I can be. So he went to Wake Forest College and majored in math. Now he went to Wake Forest when Wake Forest was in Wake Forest all those years ago. 
And so he majored in math and graduated. And John Hames Mills went out into the work world and God blessed him everything he touched. He became a very prosperous businessman. But he could never get away from something. The plight of his little orphan brother, Jackson Guthrie. He understood what Jackson went through and as he traveled North Carolina as a very prosperous businessman, he kept saying to himself, Baptists ought to do something to take care of the orphans all over North Carolina. Baptists ought to do something. Baptists ought to do something. Baptists ought to do something. He could never get away from the idea that Baptists ought to do something. He even said, this orphanage idea scratched at my skull until it almost bore a hole in my head. That's one of the only quotes we have from John Haynes Mills. He couldn't get away from Baptist or to build an orphanage. Well, he decided that was God's call on his life. So he decided he would travel North Carolina. Again, travel was really tough back in those days. He began to travel North Carolina to share a, a challenge with Baptists to build a Baptist orphanage. And so that's what he began to do. Well, it wasn't too long until he realized that wasn't going to get it done because he couldn't uh, get where he needed to get all over North Carolina. So he took some more money that God had blessed him with and he bought the biblical recorder, the state paper. And if you look at the history of our state paper, the biblical recorder, you'll find out that John Hames Mills was one of only two or three private owners of the biblical recorder. And he used our state paper, the biblical recorder, to write articles and editorials and begin to challenge Baptists to build an orphanage. Well, it was still slow. He was some, somewhat impatient, but somehow or another, God intervened in all of this situation. And God did something really unusual at that stage. God looked down and He saw, of all things, a group of Methodists. Can God use Methodists? I think so. And he looked down and he saw not only a group of Methodists, but he saw a group of Masons. Can God use Masons? I think so. And the Masons and the Methodists came together and they built an, uh, they built an orphanage down in Oxford, North Carolina that still exists to this day. The Oxford Orphanage. Well, <clears throat> the unusual part of that was God looked down and the Oxford Orphanage, made up of Methodists, or made by, created by Methodists and Masons, they looked down for a director. God looked down and needed a director there, and the Methodists and the Masons came together, and what did they do? They called a Baptist to be their first director. John Hames Mills was the first director at the Oxford Orphanage when it began all those years ago. And he was the director of the Oxford Orphanage for a dozen years or so. Well, in 1883, he said, I'm real proud of what Methodists have done here in Oxford. But that doesn't excuse Baptists. And so in 1883, he resigned as director of the Oxford Orphanage. And in 1884, he went to the Baptist State Convention meeting in Raleigh. 
And John Haynes Mills stood up there. He stood up in Raleigh at that convention meeting in 1884 and he grabbed a hold of the podium and he made a motion. And the motion he made was something like this. I make a motion that the Baptist of North Carolina build a Baptist orphanage. That was his motion. And as he stood there behind that podium after making that motion, he couldn't believe his eyes and couldn't believe his ears. Uh, Opposition arose all over that meeting. He couldn't believe that anybody would be uh, against helping an orphan. He couldn't believe anybody would be against helping widows. He couldn't believe that Baptists would be against a Baptist orphanage. But yet there it was. He saw opposition everywhere he looked. And what the comments that were made wounded him and broke. He was a broken, hurt, disappointed man. I know these preachers right here would have to agree with me. I've been in some Baptist meetings before. It was like heaven fell. It it was wonderful. It was a hallelujah meeting. And then I've been in some other Baptist meetings that if it was dead as four o'clock, and if I didn't get out of there, I was going to choke to death. And that's kind of the way John Haynes Mills felt after seeing the opposition. But I'll stop right here and say, I've always known that if you get two Baptists together, you've got three opinions. We fuss about a lot of things. A whole lot more things we fuss about than we need to fuss about. But that's what he was experiencing in that meeting. He had to get out of there. So he left that meeting and he walked down the street and he sat down on a park bench outside First Baptist Church Raleigh and he buried his face in his hands. I imagine there was tears. He was a broken man, a hurt man, a disappointed man. He was anguished over the Baptist. Couldn't be against an orphanage. He was trying to process all of that, I imagine. His face was buried in his hands, hands buried in his face. All at once he felt a shadow over him and he looked up and it was Dr. Taylor, the president of Wake Forest College. And Dr. Taylor knew about his passion for an orphanage. And he, Dr. Taylor, reached out and got John Hames Mills by the hand and said, you come with me. And they went in the First Baptist Church Raleigh and they went down the the hall and they went into a room, probably a Sunday school room, and they knelt together in there. John Mills and Dr. Taylor from Wake Forest College. And they got down on their knees and began to pray for a a Baptist orphanage. I don't know how long they were in there. They They probably didn't either. They were just praying. Heartfelt prayers about an orphanage. And all at once, John Hames Mills realized that they weren't alone. And he opened up his eyes, and that room had filled up to overflowing with Baptists on their knees, praying for an orphanage. And he looked down the hall, and the hall had lined up with Baptists on their knees, praying for a Baptist orphanage. So John Mills he left that prayer meeting. He went back to the First Baptist Church. I mean, he went back to that meeting where the Baptist State Convention was meeting and he got up on the podium again 
And he said, I withdraw my motion for the Baptist of North Carolina to build a Baptist orphanage. And added, I will never let a Baptist vote against it. And he left that meeting in 1884. And he went back to the First Baptist Church, Raleigh, back to that prayer meeting. And in the middle of the night, you see, that's when they prayed until they broke through. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And in the middle of the night, they were still praying. And the North Carolina Baptist Orphanage Association was organized out of that prayer meeting. And Baptists began to pray about it and support and give money for the idea of a Baptist orphanage. So he went back to Thomasville, North Carolina, obtained land adjacent to his farm, and the Thomasville Orphanage was built. And then, November the 11th, 1885, he went to that train station and met that little girl uh, and she became the first child in care at was what was then called the Thomasville Orphanage. Well, you know, Baptists are slow. It didn't take us long, though, to fall in love with the Thomasville Orphanage. And people began to support it in a marvelous way. And because... Baptists were so instrumental in the Thomasville Orphanage, the name was changed to the Baptist Orphanage, and today it's called the Baptist Children's Homes in North Carolina. Now that's what God did in His life and in the hearts and lives of Baptists all over North Carolina to make the Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina a reality. Are we perfect? No but we're about as good as you can get in this world. I honestly think, as a pastor, I was always in love with Baptist children's homes. But after being on the inside for 19 years, I can honestly say it's everything and more that I hoped it would be. And I wanted you to know that Jesus said He'd never leave us nor forsake us, never left this man for one moment, never left me for one moment. And Jesus said, or the writer in Psalm 66 verse 16 says that God will intervene and work in our lives. Certainly, He intervened in His life to make the Baptist children's homes in North Carolina a reality. And He intervenes in your life. You've got a story to tell. And we all need to fly the flag for Jesus because that's what He did through John Hames Mills a Baptist preacher, his daddy, and Baptist people, believers, all across North Carolina. And we've spread out from uh, Thomasville East and West. And now we're in 30 locations across North Carolina. We have 23 diverse ministries all across North Carolina. We have three children's homes in Guatemala. We have almost three hundred foster homes licensed with Baptist Children's Homes. We've got four major campuses across the state and in 2019 we became an adoption agency with offices in South Carolina and in North Carolina. We specialize in international adoption and domestic adoption as well. And I fit well because I was adopted when I was three months old born to a teenage girl. 
And I'll end with this. I said, Jesus said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. And Jesus said he'd intervene and work in our lives every day all along the way. Well, I was adopted when I was three months old. That's the reason my name's Smith. Kenneth and Gracie Smith come and adopted me all those years ago. Had a wonderful life, a great mom and dad. I could have been a better son from time to time, but they couldn't have, I couldn't have had better parents. Mama died in 98. Daddy died eight months and a week later in 99. In 2000, Sherry and I decided we'd try to find my birth mother, not because I needed anything. But I thought, maybe she does. And if I could meet her, maybe I could lead her to Christ. Wouldn't that be something if her own biological son could lead her to Jesus? That's what was in my mind. Had to petition the court for the release of the record. Lost. Hired a private investigator. And through the court system and through uh, two orders that the judge gave me, uh, they started work to try to find her. My birth mother. Uh, October 5th, 2001, I was going from Franklin to Hendersonville to do a wedding. Going through Balsam Gap. My cell phone rang. I answered it. It was Betty Godwin of the North Carolina Children's Home Society in Greensboro where I was adopted. And she said, we've located your birth mother. She's alive and well. And I said, Betty, you need to speak up. I'm going through Balsam Gap. And she said, oh, my goodness. And I said, what? And she said, oh, never mind. She couldn't tell me then that I was right in front of my birth mother's home. She lived right in Balsam Gap. I was 100 yards away. Now tell me God doesn't intervene. Tell me He doesn't work in our lives. He certainly does. And so I fit well with the ministry of Baptist Children's Homes because I'm constantly, continually reminded how God intervened in his life, how God was with him every day, how God was with me every day, is here today, and intervenes in my life constantly and continually. So I want all of you to be encouraged. All of you take hope today. No matter what, the world, the flesh, the devil, the government, the society, the culture throws at us, just remember, we're not in this alone. Jesus said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus said He'd intervene in our lives every day, all along the way. That's the good news that I have at Chestnut Dale today. Thank you for allowing me to come and be here. Brother Chad, you come. Oh, okay. Um, I've, <clears throat> that's the first time in a long time a preacher asked me to keep going. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, when uh, she couldn't tell me then when they, when I said I'm going through Balsam Gap, my cell phone's cut now, and she said, "Well, I want you to write a non-identifying letter and send it to us, and we'll send it to her, and uh, you'll get one back, and that's how we'll proceed." So uh, I'd never written a non-identifying letter. Um, they did send me a non-identifying letter from the Children's Home Society, and, and uh, I didn't even know what that was until I read it. it. It was things like, your birth mother was short. No kidding, I can look in the mirror and know she's short. You know, and it talked about hair color and eye color and all that. Um, and so 
you know, when they said write a non-identifying letter, first thing come to mind is, hello, I'm short, you know, and all that. But I, I wrote a non-identifying letter, sent it. I got a letter back, and it's, my birth mother said that she had always loved me, always prayed for me, wanted to meet me, and wanted me in her life the rest of her life. And so I wrote a letter, didn't uh, mark out anything, and I called them and I said, you send it on. Before that letter got there, my birth mother released the record. They called me to tell me who she was. And if I could have had her name, I could have found her myself in, uh, in, five, in five or ten minutes probably. Her name is Vivian Celine Daniels Arrington. She was raised on Allen's Creek in Haywood County. Her mama died when she was 18 months old and her daddy was an alcoholic and she was raised, thrown pillar to post with aunts and uncles, got in trouble in Dillon, South Carolina, got pregnant without a husband, without any hope of a husband. And they slipped her out of town in the middle of the night, took her to Durham, North Carolina, put her in a maternity home and turned their back on her and walked away. And there she was waiting for me to come along August the 19th on a Saturday morning at 5.04. I was born. And uh, she could have left me right then, but she didn't do it. She said she wanted to stay with me and nurture me and care for me. And she even breastfed me from August to October. When she finished, uh, when she decided that she would give me up for adoption, she dressed me in a little blue silk outfit, she said, to match my blue eyes. I've still got that outfit. I've not worn it lately, Conley, but I've, I've got it. And she took me to the North Carolina Children's Home Society, and that little teenage mama knelt beside a bassinet she laid me in, prayed a prayer, prayed three things and wrote the prayer down. Number one, that I would know she loved me. Number two, I'd have a mom and dad, something she couldn't give me. And number three, God would bless me. Prayed that prayer, turned her back, went on with her life. Well, she went back to Waynesville, went to work at Wellco Shoe Factory. There, three years later or so, met a man by the name of William G. Bill Arrington, and they fell in love, and he said, I want you to marry me. And she said, well, I've had a baby out of wedlock, and I want you to know about it. And he said, that's all right. I love you. We won't talk about it. For 47 years, the man never mentioned it. 47 years. And so uh, when I pastored Ratcliffe Cove Baptist Church, I lived a mile from her for seven years without knowing it. Her youngest daughter... My oldest son was in the same fourth grade class at Lake Junaluska Elementary School. Now tell me God doesn't intervene in our lives. He was all over that whole thing. Her life and my life and our lives together. When they called me to let me know they, that she had released the record, they gave me her name and her number. I called on the phone and uh, she wasn't there. There was an answering machine message. And I called four times to listen to that answering machine message. And every time I listened to her voice, it took my breath. 
I couldn't believe that I was listening to her voice. And I told my wife, I said, sounds like a little mountain granny woman. And my wife said, well, she probably is by now. And uh, so anyway, I finally got her on the phone and I said, Ms. Arrington, my name's Lewis Smith and they tell me that I'm your son. And she said, yes, you are. And she said, I want you to come this Sunday. That was the first Sunday in November 2001. She said, I want you to come to the house at, uh, at 3 o'clock. And I said, okay. And then my other kids are going to come in at 5 o'clock. And I said, okay. So when I went and knocked on the door, my wife was with me, my daughter-in-law was with me, my youngest son was with me. Uh, my oldest son was on an oil rig in New Orleans, uh, guarding it from terrorists. And uh, when I knocked on the door, she opened the door. And the sun was over my head, and there was a glare. I couldn't see very well. And she said, well, what do you think? And I didn't say anything. She said, what do you think? And I didn't say anything. She said it the third time, and my wife punched me in the back and said, she's talking to you. And uh, so I stepped in, and she said, what do you think? And I didn't say anything. She said, I thought you might be mad at me. And I got to look into her eyes and tell her that she made a good decision for her, and she made a good decision for me. I couldn't have had a better life than, than I had had. And when I looked into her eyes, I thought I was looking in a mirror at my own eyes. It was full circle. It's kind of like I had come home. I had come home. But through all of that, I knew God loved me. God intervened in my life over and over again. And even when I was a little baby in a bassinet in Durham, North Carolina, or Greensboro, North Carolina, all those years ago, I wasn't alone then. I didn't have anybody but God and he's always been enough. So uh, I'm just thankful that I had the opportunity to come and share with you today. Chad, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Do what? What was that? Yeah, I just, that's what I was saying about, about meeting her. Oh, yeah. Well, no, she, she had been a Christian since uh, uh, she grew up in Dillon, South Carolina. So her membership was at a Baptist church in Dillon, South Carolina. By the way, she had three kids, my half-brothers and sisters. And uh, they were all bab members of Baptist churches in Haywood County. And I had preached all over Haywood County, and I was preaching to my family, and I didn't even know that I was preaching to them, and they didn't know their brother was preaching to him, and uh, uh, has anybody ever been over that way and went by uh, Barber's Orchard? You, anybody know where Barber's Orchard is? Yeah. Well, she left me, went to Waynesville, went to work at Wellco Shoe Factory. Bill Arrington was part of the Arrington family that owned Barber's Orchard, and when they fell in love, she became part of that family. The Arrington still owned. Uh, the Barber's Orchard. And so if you're ever up that way, you can go in there and meet some of my birth mother's family. And by the way, 
I look more like her than any of her other children. And I hope I got her genes because she's 90 years old, doing really good. And she tells you more than you want to know. And I'm committing that sin right now. Amen, brother. <laughs>